the idea that we are on this continuum for our entire working life at this rate and with this intensity, with the responsibilities we have, which are quite different, not to every job, but to a lot of jobs, surely, surely there should be some understanding that it's only healthy and would enable retention of staff and good physical and mental health in, in the healthcare system in this country, um, that we that we are given permission <laughs> to have a break every so often. Welcome to Doctor's View with me, Dr. Bolivios. Join me as I discuss everyday topics in health and medicine and provide insights into everyday hospital life. Sit back and enjoy the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Doctor's View. I'm Dr. Bolivios. Joining me today is a longtime friend of the podcast and Doctor's in Distress advocate, Dr. Samantha Anthony. Sam is an associate specialist in dermatology, principally working as a skin cancer surgeon for the last 14 years and previously as a general practitioner too. After being diagnosed with cancer in 2005 and when reaching burnout in 2017, she created Permitted to Pause, an organisation to reach out to doctors and healthcare professionals to encourage positive changes to their well-being and also to share their understanding of why self-care is so important and often a low priority amongst our profession. In this episode, we discuss perfectionism and the problems it can cause in the workplace, as well as some ideas around a solution to the burnout crisis in the NHS. Before we begin, I have to thank Sam for her patience in the recording of this episode. We were absolutely plagued by technical faults on the day. And for all those who are podcasters or are thinking about starting a podcast, you can never underestimate just how many things can go wrong when trying to do something so, so simple. But thankfully, we managed to piece the episode together and I hope you enjoy our conversation. Hi, Sam. Can you hear me? Hi, Paul. I can hear you. Oh, my goodness. Uh, that was quite a ordeal. Okay. We got there. I know. As, as we always will. <laughs> uh, due to various, various reasons, uh, we, we've been trying to uh, meet in person for a long time, but yes. we are back to uh, Zoom or virtual, <laughs> virtual um, phone conversation, which is absolutely fine. We will meet in person one day, I'm sure. We will pull. We will get there. My concern was never getting this done. If I was trying, if we were trying to get to be in person, but we'll do it. <laughs> I know. I know. How have you been? I've been well, thank you. And you? I've been good. I've been good. Few changes and new setup as well here, and yeah, yeah. all for the good. And new job. I heard from new you. Job. And settling in. Settling in. It's got its challenges, as everywhere does, but getting used to it yeah you'll embrace it like you do everything <laughs> thank you thank you we had a very quick chat before um when I, I posted something on on perfectionism and um and you know you commented on it and I think you uh, mentioned something with regards to your own practice and your own um philosophy as it were so what was it that made you think about uh think about perfection after that post well paul i think as soon as i saw that it was that you were talking you in particular also were talking about perfectionism it's something that is a topic that strikes me quite deeply because it's something i know that i 
have had and still have traits of and but I would say my wish to learn about it and this opportunity to talk about it and to share experiences and to share learning about it mm-hmm. you know is is so important actually for someone who I would say I, I've talked about it before where just with friends and family that I feel like I'm a reformed or reforming perfectionist <laughs> I think there will always be things about me that will be a perfectionist but there's so many things that I have thought about it before and wondered why I have these traits why they impact upon me how that affects my practice as a doctor how that affects me as a person how it might impact on my work-life balance um all sorts of those things and um again this opportunity to talk about it read a bit about it think about it I think is is like therapy in itself as well, which I know you say with a lot of your podcasts, just talking about these things sometimes is really helpful and getting other perspectives on it. Yeah, it it's interesting. Um, I, I've said this, as you said, I have, I've said this before, and there's something um, very therapeutic about uh, listening to your own voice. Um, so, so for people that don't know when you when you, on the whole when you're podcasting you may have seen people wear headphones and uh wondering why because they don't do anything for the for the sounds as it were but they they allow you to sort of hear what's what's being said and so you can hear any noises or anything like that so you can adjust audio levels and what have you but the the thing that i found very strange was listening to your own voice in real time uh that took a lot of getting used to and it actually became a very nice way of actually consolidating your own thoughts in a in a, in a weird way because we all have a sort of internal monologue but um but actually hearing it as you're saying it and thinking it um does does make you think a little bit more sometimes so um yeah at least at least for me um but you know well, I think that's part of externalising what we all hold inside. We've only got our own brains that ruminate and tell us and talk to ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> and sometimes we can just sit with that and mm-hmm. we don't really get another perspective because it's all internal. But expressing it and externalising it, whether you have someone else, you know, working with that or, you know, sure. communicating that with you, it still comes out. And I think that's just healthy. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. And um, what were the... Uh, traits you, you said you you, you said I, I definitely have these these traits what what is it is it similar to some of the things that I've spoken about or what is it that you have noticed for the perfectionism traits I mean definitely I hear where you're coming from um and that's why some of that resonates with me I mean my my personal take on perfectionism has always been what everyone would think like that definition of wanting to do something be almost beyond what is best you know perfectionism in itself just it's completely it's just a nonsense actually because how can anything ever be perfect there will always be something else surely you can do to it to make it even more perfect and even more perfect it's kind of a limitless upper end yes. you can't how, how do you contain that but I've taken a long time to understand that for myself personally and my traits would definitely 
have been, I would say they are diluted somewhat these days whilst I've kind of taken time to consider perfectionism affecting me personally. But but it's definitely been the trait of making sure that I do everything to the absolute maximum that I can possibly do and actually not necessarily in the time that I've got so one thing is definitely it's time consuming um and the idea that if I haven't done it if I haven't spent enough time on it or more time than what I have um or I haven't looked at every possible outcome or option or you know, how it might look, how it might, what the outcome might be for that other person, then I haven't done my best. And the feeling that I, the fear of the consequence of not getting something right, or, you know, being criticised for it, or just not delivering it in the most perfect way and requiring a lot of preparation. So that's where the time consuming, consuming side of it has come in to my life as well um and then when I sort of really go out and read about or learn about perfectionism all those other things so something that you know it'll be feelings of guilt if I haven't you know spent as much time as I think I should have but who's setting that bar I am setting that bar it's only me who is saying I am the I'm the one being self-critical or criticizing that piece of work that I've done or um criticizing myself after I've delivered that presentation and and actually no one else most of the time no one else has even noticed that but it will be those little things that I've gone away and gone that was imperfect I could have done that better but only that's my internal narrative again. Sure. And sometimes no matter how much somebody else says, but that was excellent or that was good or, you know, I never thought of that. Or, and then if you even raise that little internal doubt, that guy didn't even notice that. <laughs> yeah. So there are those aspects that I do recognise in myself. And I suppose I'm talking about the wider aspect of working as a doctor where you do have to do things in detail and you present and all of this. But then there's that whole other thing of, how many exams we've always gone through right from school, you know, where you're expected to have a certain level of, well, your grades have to be a certain level to go to medical school. If you put that in your horizon, then you do that. And if you're not in that sort of group, then how would you get on to do that? So you, you know, do medicine, then you get to medical school and then you'll face a whole other lot of people who are just, just brilliant. <laughs> and, and you're thinking, well, there's a bar set there. So it's almost like you're, it's an ambition, but it's also the perfectionism I feel has, has sort of developed with me a bit. Um, because I think I've got to be a certain level to be enough. And if I'm not, and I don't reach that grade and I don't reach that level, and I don't pass at that level, then I'm not going to make it. Mm-hmm. And then this goes on. It's like a self-perpetuating thing. Certainly it has been for me, but then I have achieved and I have achieved. Now, how I needed to get hundred percent? No, I haven't. And I've not been aiming for that. In the end, you come to a point where you go, well, I can't be, I can't be perfect at that. I'm just going to have to accept I can pass. I can pass well, or I can just pass average and that's okay. So at that sort of studying level, that's, that's one thing. Um, but then in my practice as a doctor, I think one of the things I commented after your um, little piece on perfectionism was, has have I gone into medicine because I'm a perfectionist or have I become a perfectionist by being in medicine, either through studying it with all these brilliant people um, or in the work that I do as a, you know, I do 
I do surgery and dermatology, having gone through a lot of different things in my career, training in surgery, training in general practice, and then doing surgery in dermatology. But therefore, what I do with all of my experience, it's quite a lot of very detailed facial work. And whilst it's not aesthetic, it needs to be aesthetic from my perspective. Um on one hand, but clearly I also need to preserve function. I also need to take the cancer out. Um, I've got to think of all these different ways of putting it back together. Um, And so there is the detail in what I specifically do that actually every doctor in every realm will be seeking their own perfect in what they do because of that huge thing at the end of it, which is the patient outcome, which is what we are all so um central to you know so yeah Yeah. it sounds uh very much um at the beginning where you were talking about all all the different things targets wise it sounds part of the perfectionism is setting unrealistic expectations to some extent not only in terms of the outcome but actually just in terms of the 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 targets that you're setting yourself for I've got to do this in a certain time frame or mm-hmm. um I've got to achieve this by this point and even it's almost a double-edged sword because you're you've got unrealistic time frame and you've also got unrealistic expectations of each thing in that time frame so you want to do yeah. each thing in that time frame perfectly and you want a perfect outcome and there's also too much to do and mm-hmm. it, it it can be quite well not even quite it can be very overwhelming and I think that is one of the I think it's a trait that isn't really talked about too much actually Mm. I mean yeah I'm really putting it out there what's how living with it really can be Mm. um I suppose it is quite important to say that you know every doctor every healthcare professional is still you know your outcome is still for the best the best outcome for the patient no one is thinking anything less than that but I think it's it is very well written about healthy versus unhealthy perfectionism (laughs) um and so that healthy perfectionism is where it's accepted that those outcomes may not be perfect despite everything that you put into it. Um, There is an understanding and an acceptance that there is, you know, a complication rate, that there is, uh, there are going to be times you cannot, no matter how hard you try, get the outcome that you and everybody else would wish for. And whilst that doesn't take away any of the emotion or, you know, feelings of, fear and maybe guilt I think it's just augmented and magnified in the unhealthy perfectionism um but then also might drive that need to I've got to do it better again next time well I thought I did everything I could but maybe I didn't therefore I've got to do it more more again and again and so that is where it just continues to build um and again, it's that self-criticism, it's that. And I think if you keep that to yourself, that can be where the overwhelm and the burnout come. And of course, we know perfectionism and burnout are very, very connected and very linked. Um, in fact, I read, I did read something. I'll read it out to you because it was, um, I read it in Time, um, one magazine, but online in January. Um, and it was just a sentence about the link between perfectionism and burnout. And it said, Plant the seed of work-related stress in the soil of the perfectionist personality and burnout is likely to sprout. (laughs) And it's almost like you're watering that soil where we always say, oh, water your soil and let your seeds grow. 
that that's kind of general growth and um you know managing life and letting yourself move forwards but actually in a perfectionist if it's the wrong thing that you're that you're you're planting and then and then you know nurturing actually that can lead to something quite negative and I would almost replace plant the seed of work-related stress in the soil plant the seed of doubt in the soil of a perfectionist and I think that is equally yeah um you know sort of well, it does it, it just it just propagates all the all the problems doesn't it and you start I think self yeah. self-doubt uh it is a catalyst, I think. Um, in, and I think that's the one thing that we've spoken a lot about burnout in the past um, with Docs in Distress and, um, and, and we've had group discussions as well. And there's one thing which I, I was trying to work out because, you know, and, and it's one of those things that it feels impossible to work out. We've spoken so much about it. We we know what causes it. We know the different traits that certain people may have with regards to it, um, or at least we, we've got certain predictors that I think we've we can all um, testify to uh, when we see it in either in ourselves or in in colleagues. And to this day, no matter how many years we've been talking about it either ourselves between us or 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 in as a profession the solution has never really happened um now yes that's an that's an extent of how big the problem is of course but it also feels like i just feel there's going to be an epiphany moment where we're 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 sort of asking the wrong questions or the the um the solution is something perhaps dare I say more simple than we we think um i can't i don't know it's it's just just thoughts that were going in into my head and the one thing i I did think about and I think we have touched on this before is one of the things in in medicine is you don't get and I think this is where your your channel and your your website's name permitted to pause is is so uh, relevant to this you actually don't get any point in your career where you can just literally hit a hit a pause button and there's there is a thought of you've got your annual leave and whatever but can you imagine how how different the vocation would be is if you were allowed a four to six week break every so often uh not penalized for it not not you know um not have paid doc to a big extent or you know i know this is a wishful thinking and it's something you know everyone would love to have unpaid uh, paid paid leave all, all the time but just in terms of you know different levels of intensity or in terms of different specialties or different hours that you've put in equate to uh, just this extra little bit of time where you can go off and have time to revise for exams or have time to uh, go and do a, a placement you know, in, in in other place in a different specialty that you might want to have a look to see, gain some experience in. Just something that that gives you that opportunity to have a little bit of a break every now and then in a in a block. Um and just time away from the hospital. You know, uh, sometimes people say, What are you doing on your annual leave? And and often I hear people say, actually I'm not doing anything. I'm just not being here. 
and that that's actually more you know people get more of a rest from and respite from just not being at the workplace rather than actually having to go away on holiday or or whatever so it was just a thought and you know not sure what your thoughts are on that but i know it's slightly unrealistic but <laughs> but i 100% agree with that paul i think there has not to date been a culture certainly in the uk of enabling that accepted time out that um you know i know for example after well, after doing some work with permitted to pause when i first sort of set it up and that was after a career break which um you know, it's probably well known now that I had that career break entirely opportunistically when I hadn't realized I was quite at the brink of burnout. And it wasn't, it wasn't all work related. It was, it was life and work colliding, which is what I, you know, definitely think is a thing. I know the WHO have brought out their definition of, um, you know, burnout being a, a um, occupation related um, kind of chronic stress. Um, but I do think that is isolating the fact that we are human beings and life does impact and life will overlap with work and work will overlap with life. You cannot separate the two. I mean, we do. That's what we do our best to do. But actually, in reality, humans are not built like robots. They're not built to separate these and put these things in boxes. But we do a jolly, we make a jolly good job of it um, because that's what we're trained to do. And, you know, we've got a job to get on with and uh, impacting our external stuff to work you know it's it's not okay um but i think so the vision of of medics healthcare professionals doctors nurses being human (laughs) having the same worries and anxieties and stresses and all of that on top of the job is is slowly i think extremely slowly getting recognized um but how you're right how is that dealt with so with the work as I say very early on during my career break which I did I did not work through so I went to Canada my husband had a job there for a year and and I had the support to go out there and that's when a few months into it I thought of permitted to pause because I thought this is all actually about my ability to give myself permission. And a perfectionist does not give themselves permission for a lot of self, you know, a lot, that's another thing, you know, that, that idea of self-care, it's, it's just, it's doesn't belong, it doesn't sit well and belong well to a perfectionist. Well, certainly this one, um, because, because you'll just, you could think you can always do more for that thing you need to do. That's not about helping yourself it's about helping another and that's been certainly the thing for me. Um, but again, that totally impacts on your work-life balance. And that time out showed me some balance, although it was very skewed as well, because I was doing no work. But of course, I was still having to contain continue my CPD, which I had to find in America. I had to go to, you know, a dermatology course, which was all very good. And I had to do some reading and you just have to keep up your hours. So it wasn't nothing, <laughs> um, but it actually was nothing in the sense of I don't have the responsibility of patients for this many months. Um, and responsibility is very heavy, definitely. And what we do, we talk about that a lot. And that's never going to go if we're talking about burnout. That's all. That's part of what we do. It's part of our jobs. Um, so I I think the permission thing is important to kind of really sit with. Um, 
what I learned was that places like Australia, um, I learned from a couple of people when I put my first article out in the BMJ blog about um, my career break and just the idea that actually this should be considered more. If you compare it to something like maternity leave, which is really well structured, it's really well done. And with planning, it can be done. And it is, it's often done. And it can be done more than once for an individual whilst it's not the same, obviously, as a career break, <laughs> um, it, it, it is still possible to do this. And so then I heard from a couple of people, an old friend in Australia um, who works in A&E there, who reflected and said, you know what, I've just had a career break and it has absolutely changed my life. Then another person came in and said, we have this in Australia. After X number of years, I can't tell you the definition, after X number of years, we have a mandatory amount of time off that they say, go and do something else, go and travel, go and, you know, I may or may not be right with that fact, but that definitely came to me five years ago as something I didn't realise. So there are ways that it can be done. It's just having the right support to do it. And I genuinely don't know where that comes from. Does it come from the Royal College, sort of the Royal Colleges giving permission? Does it come from the institutions, the hospitals individually we work in giving that permission? How does that become a rule? I'm yet to know. (laughs) Um, But if we can find out and and approach the right people, then the idea that we are on this continuum for our entire working life at this rate Mm-hmm. And with this intensity, with the responsibilities we have, which are quite different, not to every job, but to a lot of jobs, surely, surely there should be some understanding that it's only healthy and would enable retention of staff and good physical and mental health in in the healthcare system in this country, um, that, we, that we are yeah. given permission <laughs> to have a break every so often. They... The difficulty with it, and is that, well, it, it's it's self perpetuating in that the the numbers of of doctors and and nurses and and healthcare staff is is dwindling by the by the day, and you're not going to attract new people unless something is done, and uh, or you're not going to retain people that you already have unless something is done, and at the same time, um, you can't we can't implement some of those things like career breaks and and all the rest because there's not enough people to actually do that at the moment you can't you know and if we if we did that and said okay every few years you can go and take a a few months off it would as, as much as that would be great for everyone and i completely agree with it um i i have to sympathize to some extent with the hospitals or with the with with the people you know running everything saying you know we can't do that now i think they should be working harder to try and make it a reality personally um like they have done like as you say in 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 other in other places um and it's interesting when you say the the who uh the who definition uh saying that burnout is a is a workplace thing i I'm not sure how I feel about that as a as a you know as as, as a formal definition of it because I really think it it's all aspects of life that yes we we do talk about burnout as a as a workplace thing in general because that's that's generally when it 
manifests um and it's genuinely the the thing that gets impacted the most and because on the whole people don't care when people go have burnouts when they're not employed really no one cares like who's they, they, that's why you have so many forgotten people suffering um in alone in in their in their apartments in their in their flats if, if they're if they're in their house if they're lucky to have somewhere to live and um whereas it's people and government and institutions only really take notice when it actually affects their workforce so i you know so you can you can see how yeah burnout's defined as a workplace thing but i i don't really agree with that i think there's so much um that contributes to burnout in the workplace and part of those things are external factors be it uh, your your personal life be it um all the all the little things that all the little challenges that we have each day sometimes it doesn't take much to push you over that edge and unfortunately work um the workplace has a especially in medicine has that wonderful ability to push you over those those edges on a on a very regular basis and the other thing i've noticed within medics and this is a very biased view of course being being a medic and and it's very skewed view because i tend to see a lot of medics uh, in my day to day life but um because of that perfectionist nature that a lot of medics tend to have because of that very competitive nature that, that a lot of medics tend to have and medics on the whole are relatively they, they are risk takers on the whole because yeah, at a young age we, we did put all our eggs in one basket trying to um, get into medical school and um, and you didn't leave much wiggle room for much else to be fair um and so you you did put everything into this into this one thing and um there are people that they do go to different countries to try and practice medicine and that's 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 a difficult thing to do to to just get up and and move to a different country to practice your job and that that's a risk and a lot of people do this and so what i'm trying to say is sometimes because of our personalities and because of our, our nature and characteristics in medicine our personal lives also tend to be slightly more complicated than other people that i've that i've met just because of our very nature and so you've got this whole melting pot of of things um and yeah so that's why i'm not i'm not entirely in agreement with the uh, burnout being a, a specifically workplace phenomenon um but that's my humble opinion on 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 that you know so yeah but i agree i agree I, and you know as i said earlier i just think these two are not mutually exclusive they they will overlap um so yes i i'm also not it's good it's been a recognized thing and that may make steps towards the fact that okay there is a responsibility of institutions and our employers and um you know to care for the people working in that workplace to you know help to prevent that so so a definition coming out like that does i feel need to be followed up with um something that continues to support preventing it um you know and obviously trust them since the pandemic you know all those all the fragility within we all know this all the fragility within 
our institution that is the NHS has just been exposed by the pandemic, I think. Um, and so it's great that a lot of well-being is now being introduced. It's being talked about so much more. That is a great thing. But as you say, what is the solution? Um, and just going back to what you were saying about the fact that, you know, obviously retention of staff is already a really difficult thing. I mean, that was a difficult thing even when I was on my career break thinking about this writing, you know, about this quite publicly. But my point about that is if you had planned breaks that is way better than having sudden loss of staff through stress and burnout at very short notice with no backup with no plan and actually you could you you could there is no that you know there's nothing to say that there's a plan of when someone will um have a baby um once they find out that they need that maternity that just comes um, but there is still some months of planning for that because there is a known amount of time with that gestation period. So this can be done. I, you know, and it can be done. People still go on annual leave. They still take the leave that they are required to take. And with the amount of notice, we manage. In teams, we manage. Um, you know, I think another thing, we all have a massive duty of, uh, you know, duty of care to our patients, but also to our colleagues. And so that's another big thing. So if you imagine there's a group of colleagues who might all be perfectionist, you know, uh, we've got to support each other out of that as well. Um, and, and again, recognising when a colleague is burning out, when a colleague is, you know, focusing and ruminating on something that actually it's okay, it's not that bad, or I didn't see that. I think that that goes a long way as well. So um, there's so many factors involved in here. Clearly, there's just there is no easy answer, um, and we can keep talking about it. But it's like, how do we how do we do something about it? Um, I think that whole the scrutiny that that we have as medics as well you know we are kind of on a stage with patients you know the whole public in general the execs within our you know trust and on our boards um, you know maybe some colleagues maybe there's there's a lot we have that there's an there's a huge expectation of us um, and so you know that whole idea of the fallen hero if you don't achieve what it is you're expected to achieve mm-hmm. then there are so many consequences you know not only to the outcome but actually personally so again it's all about that self-perpetuation but it, it's those expectations that are put upon us as medics as well um so my goodness what if we did take an extended break of course I didn't feel comfortable with that at the outset but I thought you know what just go I was supported to do it I just went and did my department fall apart of course not because they don't rely upon me (laughs) they don't um anyway I came back and you know I'd support the next person doing it (laughs) definitely do you know it's, it's interesting you say that I had one job uh it was about eight years ago it was, it was one of the and to this day probably probably the busiest um job i ever had uh i didn't have any real seniors i had consultants but they were, they were few and far between and but there was no middle grade person um so for people that aren't medics it was it was you had i was still very pretty junior um and there was no, there was, no, there was no one sort of at say the level I am now kind of thing, sort of in between that. And so you were doing everything, and 
it was so so busy i and i i made i feel like i made the job more busy than it should have been um <laughs> looking back at it maybe but i always used to think if i how how's this place going to run when i'm on leave or when i'm uh, you know because <laughs> there's no one else there was literally just just you and um but it did you know and you came back and you're thinking you know place hasn't burnt to the ground as it were and and then you then <laughs> then you start thinking am i am i doing something wrong you know why am I, i'm putting all this effort in i'm i'm leaving 3 hours later than i should be uh for what reason exactly you know uh, am i being inefficient and you you actually question your own work ethos in a way or your your own ability in, in your workplace when when that happens but it is true the the place carries on um they don't rely on you as this one person to run everything it's not possible at all um and i think we we have to sometimes take a step back and realize actually it's like the place will go on things things go on you know um the day will end the, the there will be a there will be some something someone something will help to to carry carry things on when you're not there you know um that as in the same way that we notice it when we go to work and there's been a, a sickness or in in recent cases you know with lots going around there's been two three sicknesses all, all at once and um even with the strike action where it's like how how are we gonna cope with with so many people away and it's like we we find a way and i think covid did that you know we we learned so quickly i mean i i saw uh pop-up intensive care units come up you know we turned wards into intensive care units and the things that we did in um in in a period of a week, two weeks was was nothing short of phenomenal. I mean, yes, it was to the it was to the detriment of facilities and lots of other departments, but we did manage to achieve a lot with with COVID in terms of um, what we can do when we put our minds to it. Absolutely, and incredible ways, and as you say, very very swiftly. There is a which, which just shows, doesn't it, the tenacity of everything that we are all capable of as a team and when all these brains come together and what you can do with limited resources as well um you know I think we are very I think we're very recognized for thinking on this you know we have to think off the hoof that's what we're there for something comes in front of you it's risky we have to make a decision mm -hmm. you just just do it. And there will be consequences for better or for worse. But if you didn't make a decision, yeah. you didn't do something about it, there's only going to be a worse outcome. <laughs> you know, not only, but you know, that's that's obviously what we're we're always trying to um sort of weigh up. Um but I would say one thing about the fact that yes, look at what we can all do with with when we really are pushed to and have to with with very little Sorry, and very little time, is that there is a danger there in that we can just be seen that we are just cope like really coping because we're just managing the input the throughput the output um and actually what that does to the people on the cold face maybe is not fully visible and understood the pandemic has shown it um but if we continue to just cope and um react so well <laughs> that that could be to our you know 
certainly not to the detriment we hope of our patients, but but certainly to us working in it. But anyway, that's just another a viewpoint. Um, but I I was sort of reflecting a little bit back to perfectionism and the, the, the sort of burden of the work that we have as medics. So just to go back to that theme again, um, you know, the, one of the visuals I have of the job itself that we all do um, is, is a bit like carrying an elephant on our back. Um, it's a really heavy weight of burden with responsibility, with volume of work, with duty of care. Um, and we're just, we're just holding that most of the time. Um, and the way that I sometimes see perfectionism is hard as it is, whether it's inherent within us, as you, we've talked about traits, or whether it's sort of from external pressures, I sometimes see it as sort of inviting a second elephant to come on top of the first elephant, um, knowing that it's going to be really heavy, <laughs> um, even heavier, and almost you're just crumbling under the, the double weight. It's not only just the job itself, which is which you're burdened with, but but then this other sort of extra, it's the extra, being extra and adding extra to what you're already trying to do and trying to do to the best of your ability. Um, so it's just a visual I sometimes have thought about with my moments of perfectionism and a way of saying, okay, how do I get this, this second elephant off my back? It's hard enough. <laughs> and that's been part of me coaching myself almost through not needing to be quite so perfect at everything. Um and then, and then I've also often thought to myself, what would I say to my juniors? So if, if I see those traits in them and I'm supervising a procedure where I see something that you know, might not have been done perfectly, could still you know, be done slightly better or slightly different technique. And then when I hear them ruminating about it to me, I'm the one that's reassuring them saying it's okay. It wasn't, you know, this is not going to have a negative outcome in, in, uh, to the magnitude that you think it will. If it were, I would have helped you or I have corrected you or, you know, it, it's almost like putting the perspective back in sometimes. And I think perfection can sometimes remove perspective in a healthy way. Um, and whilst I talk about permitted to pause, I think my my chant from here will have to be permitted to park per- perfectionism because, it, again, it's just part of working through, yeah, taking the, the more difficult aspects of perfectionism out of what we do every day. It's, it's, it's so much easier said than done, isn't it? Uh, to to take away the, the thing that we've been practising for so long. Um, in terms of it, all our lives, we, no one's ever told us that this is this is an unhealthy thing to do, you know. And so, and so, uh, only as we're as only now as we're getting into, um, I want to say adulthood because <laughs> it feels like um, it feels like these are traits from from it from from childhood, you know. Um, but it feels like as we as as responsibilities are growing and as we're seeing the repercussions of having this personality trait um, more and more, it feels like it's almost we're finding out about about our own characters maybe sometimes um, too late, and it's well too late. It is in you know I'm, it's never too late to find out things, but 
you know what I'm trying to say uh, in terms of it's it's we're finding things out after they've they've produced uh, there's been repercussions as a result of of being a certain way and unfortunately burnout is one of those things that it seems to uh, manifest. You know? Yes, yes, and I, I agree. It's never too late. I mean, like I say, I'm very proud to say I'm reforming. I think I will always be. <laughs> a perfectionist um but certainly not I'm, I'm taking that second elephant off a lot of the time um but you know it's not just in medicine I see people around me in other professions and you know I can you know even just looking at my own two brothers so I have a younger brother and an older brother um and all three of us without a shadow of a doubt our dominant thing is creativity we are all very creative individuals um I definitely haven't gone into medicine because I think I'm a scientist or I I just I am very we're all three of us are very very colorful and I mean that in every sense of the word with creativity with artistry um and we all have very different professions so I'm in medicine my younger brother is a very very talented um filmmaker has been in the sort of um technical uh, side of cgi and um special effects and all of that and is making films now and some of the you know some of the detail required in his work very very creative but i will remember right back to when we were very young um he had a saying on his wall in his bedroom that was um off the back of i think leonardo da vinci originally s- said something of it that art is never is never completed it is only ever abandoned and there is that so again it looks at that limitless sort of you know where do you finish it where do you end um but I you know I'm not definitely not defining myself and my two you know should I say shouldn't be defining my two brothers as perfectionists but I totally see some of those traits as well in part of what they've gone into and how they've been so successful at what they do my older brother he's a photographer but he's also a qualified pilot and the the sort of necessity of absolute perfectionism when you've got a a plane full a jumbo jet full of you know passengers is a bit like having patience um so again, like we've all required elements of perfectionism in what we are doing. Um, but I've also, again, seen how, you know, I see my traits in them and I'm sure they see um, theirs in me. Um, so it isn't just medicine. It's really important to remember that, you know, I, well, clearly it's saying that there are things within us that 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 make us the way yeah, we are. <laughs> I, I mean, the, the, uh, the ironic thing is it, it does... It does make you sometimes very good at, at your job because mm. um, when if if I'm anesthetizing a patient, for example, I think the patient wants me to be a perfectionist in a way, uh, and uh, they you know, or if you're anesthetizing someone's child or whoever it may be the parent or patient or relatives that they kind of hope that um yeah you haven't got someone that's just it's, it's okay you know uh though you know it, it, even though you know everyone's way of 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 practicing is is very very different um you kind of would want the pilot that's a perfectionist you know you do want the photographer that's a perfectionist you do all these all these things you 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 want it and it's when you when you think to yourself that actually not only are you expecting it of yourself, but you realize that patients or 
your clients or your passengers or all the people around you are also expecting you to be a perfectionist as well. You really do <laughs> propagate this uh, this this massive cycle of um, of of just expectations versus reality and and versus what's what's actually achievable and mm. um it really can make things a lot worse um but you can see where where people and where we may struggle as a as a profession and and or perfectionists in in general may struggle because you have got so many people who you think in your mind, if I if I do something not so perfect, um, I've not just failed myself, I've failed the people that I'm serving or people that are paying for this service. And um yeah, it's it's a it's a difficult thing to get your head around. But I guess one one message is it's it is impossible to be perfect all the all the time. And we've we learn this the hard way. And actually when we don't allow ourselves to have this permissible imperfection for want of a better phrase um yes. we really do uh we really do lend ourselves open to to burnout and it creeps up on you i would say probably a lot a lot faster than um than we like to think um and 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 it goes back to sort of our very early conversations i think that we were having um maybe even a couple of years ago now and um when i was chatting to um other uh charity members in in doctors in distress as well it it almost feels like the telltale signs are they're there early but but they get noticed far too late and um as we know the impact that this has um uh, and and the increasing suicide rate in in medicine as well um which is uh, which sadly doesn't seem to be on the decrease at all um you know it, it the way it manifests is is it really is uh, it's it's tragic there's no other word i can i can use to describe it and i just I don't know. Sometimes I I just wish people listening to episodes like this or thing uh, just hope that they can um, realize that there is so much uh, support and just I think the first step is actually just just saying to someone uh, it could be a friend, a colleague, a senior, um, whoever it may be, or even of course doctors in distress charity themselves. But um, just to say I'm I'm feeling run down and all or even just a simple i know if if anyone at work came to me for example and said um you know i'm just not feeling myself it doesn't you don't have to talk about depression you don't have to talk about uh burnout per se but just giving that little signpost signposting and 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 we're, we're taught to notice signposting with patients uh, when they want to say something to you and they don't quite know the words to say it or they are struggling to get it out because of embarrassment or all these things but we're, we're taught to uh, pick up on these things and I like to think that we can do that with our colleagues as as well and sometimes you just need a subtle um, a subtle signpost and we've said before that 
sometimes just asking the question twice or three times, are you okay? It it does trigger this, um, you know, uh, this thought process to say, actually, do you know what? I'm not. And, and, uh, and you can actually have a conversation and hopefully um, help someone and hopefully someone can help themselves in that way. Absolutely. I mean, I think it is maybe easier to see it or identify it in another. <clears throat> it's harder to see it in yourself. And therefore, it's also really important to listen to those people who are pointing those things out to you. Um, you know, we've said it before and we'll say it again, the people who often need it the most aren't necessarily the ones reaching out for the help. Um, so it's really identifying them, but then it's really easy for them to just sort of get hidden away in the hustle and bustle of every day if no one is checking in. And um, and that's quite an important thing. I mean, I I did something, you know, last month only in my uh, with my own team, which was I volunteered to, because I've been wanting to do it for ages, I volunteered to present do a presentation at our clinical governance, which is normally a fairly clinical meeting, um, on burnout. And I finally got the opportunity, very supportive team, to just said, yeah, we'll give you, you know, half an hour for that. And it was quite an eye-opening um, session, really, more because I, I was sat there watching my team. It was a safe place. That's what I, I wanted it to be. I'm bringing it to them. You know, we're all talking about it, but but I'm bringing it to them. And I'm saying, this is okay. It's okay to talk about it. Um, you know, that this is what we should identify in each other, in ourselves. This is how we might be able to help each other, you know, not maybe reach this point. Um, there's a lot of this about um, and it just was, it, you know, I was, I was seeing everyone's faces. They were only seeing mine, but I was seeing everyone's mm -hmm. and it definitely was resonating with everybody in that room. And afterwards it, I literally had such an overwhelming response just with individual sort of reflections um, that I thought this is a really important thing to do. I've done this with my team now. I'm very prepared to do it with every other team in the hospital. Is it something that other teams can embrace? Yes, this, you know, talking about risk registers and patient complaints and all of that is really important and the educational stuff and clinical governance. But all I'm saying is let's just reserve, even if it's 10 minutes every three months in these meetings where everyone is together to bring a well-being thing, to bring something that reminds everyone that it's a safe environment to mm -hmm. do it in um just raising that awareness again uh but but also i think important to signpost and important to remind and important to just reassure people that there are things that that can be done you know and even with perfectionism you know i've sort of been thinking how okay what if you ask me so how do we deal with all of this yeah. very well that we know what it is and we recognize it but i think part of it is about self-care, self-reflection, um, but also sharing. We said right at the beginning, just externalizing some of what, which is the hardest thing actually, to externalize what you're really feeling. But coaching, there's a lot of coaching out there, um, you know, which is really positive. I think, you know, almost learning what those tipping points are for you mm -hmm. and maybe recognizing or, or thinking where you can place your own boundaries. Because 
maybe that's another thing. It's hard to put a boundary on time. It's hard to put a boundary on all of those tasks. How do you stop that list getting longer? Well, it then is about prioritizing. And some of those things at the bottom of the list actually didn't really matter anyway. They were there, but they've come and gone now and they've and it doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> um, but again, sort of just communicating as a as an individual, as a team, getting support from managers, support, which we always say, you know, for support from you know, some of the higher levels from the institution, you can go right up there. But actually just this is on a maybe individual to individual basis to start with. Um, And I suppose that goes for everything, not just facing perfectionism as a trait, but, you know, all those other things that are causing overwhelm and burnout. Yeah, I I try um, whenever I'm I'm given um, or whether I'm being shadowed by a a medical student, Inevitably, our, our conversations do tend to go towards what made you choose anaesthetics or um, uh, where did you study? And we talk about medical school and we talk about um, choosing a, a specialty. And this this happens actually more often than not. And um, I, I left surgery to do anaesthetics and um, it wasn't a decision I regrets i i miss certain aspects of of surgery and i i explained to them when 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 students find this out they they actually they talk to me a lot about this um and you can see why because they have this idea in in their minds when they're starting medical school i i, I want to be a neurosurgeon i want to be a you know um a, a plastic surgeon or i, I want to and, and they come up with all these um wonderful wonderful specialties usually very very highly competitive specialties um mm-hmm. I, I i found i found this happens quite a lot um the 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 students that know exactly which specialty they want to go into, despite never having experienced it, despite you know literally being in year one, um, uh, for example, they, they 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 know which specialty, and these specialties are always highly competitive ones, always. Um, like mm-hmm. every specialty is competitive, but these are sort of the the hyper competitive ones you know yeah. they'll, they'll say something like ophthalmology or, or 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 cardiac where you get like one job every you know in a blue moon you know and so you're thinking gosh this is quite a big commitment and quite a big um uh amount of pressure that you're you're putting yourself on at the very early stage and they usually are competitive highly driven um people um and i i and when i tell them that i left surgery to i said i was exactly like you um i left to do this they're very interested because you can start to see that there's an element of of self doubt not not an unhealthy amount not like i can't do this but just the thought of what if i don't like it and mm-hmm. it is going back to sort of putting your eggs in, in one basket and and all the rest and when you give yourself this amount of pressure just and i just say to them it's okay to change your mind you know yeah. you don't have to be like this is my career path this is going to be my trajectory and um and that's it it's like it doesn't doesn't quite work like that because you might find, um, like as, as I did, I loved being in theatre. Absolutely loved being in theatre. I loved um, d- assisting with the operations or, or doing the, some minor procedures myself, and um, that was that was great. But the life outside of the operating room and the work 
outside the operating room, I didn't really enjoy as much and, and it wasn't as fun. And so naturally I, I progressed towards the other side of the table as it were and um yeah. you know where i could have it felt like to me the best of best of both worlds the theater still had uh, the yeah. ability to uh, use skills and 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 what have you but um and yeah i just find students um when they hear that you can actually change your mind and that you're not going to be um not just not criticized but it's not going to be a detriment to you you know and it yes. actually enhances your work-life balance you know i i don't know um how things would have turned out if i just stuck with a specialty that i just that i wasn't particularly happy with that was making me unhappy um because a career is a long time to be unhappy yes and yeah you know uh so yeah Yeah. just just I i completely resonate with that because I've changed career more than (laughs) once and I've done every exam going (laughs) for each of them as well (laughs) um and each time therefore because of the amount of commitment that went into progressing in down each channel and getting almost you know well getting to the end of those exams and then just saying like it's not for me actually that probably was they were the best decisions I I made but they were also the hardest decisions. There's still a weight of expectation. No, and actually at that time, probably that was the expectation for myself. Um, but we have to carry every experience with us and every single bit of surgical and general practice training I have done still is used today um, in a job that I'm very happy in. Um, and yes, I've just come, I have found that place, but it can take years to find that place. Um, it sort of found me, <laughs> but it, yes. And obviously I had a life-threatening illness in the middle of that as well. So there are definitely p- paths in life that you sometimes just have to let it carry you as much as you are doing your best to carry it. Um and you you'll find it, you'll get there. And if it if at the end of all that you don't, I think you still have to unfortunately yeah you have to get the help required to really make an informed decision about changes in career especially in medicine and once you know that we shouldn't we must remove the stigma of um wanting to change needing to change seeking another direction yeah thank you and um before we uh wrap up just let me know what um what permitted to pause is doing next i saw you are selling some mugs as well and um other projects as well so just let us know what's going on so yes i mean i'm um most of what i do or attach uh sort of with permitted to pause is on my instagram at permitted to pause um i always support doctors in distress as a charity through many different guises i have and you seem to have got me on at the beginning of May, which is the 5K a day in May uh, sort of um, program that they do. And they encourage people to run, cycle, swim, skip, hop, whatever you can, uh, 5K uh, a day in May. I've done this two years in a row. Uh, The idea of May coming around every year fills me a little bit with anxiety. (laughs) I haven't done my 5K yet today, (laughs) but 
off the back of it, really, I, I'm just trying to raise a little bit of money and awareness. And I have some permitted to pause mugs, which uh, the sale of each one will, um, I hope, contribute to Doctors in Distress. That's the idea. Um, and yes, I'm working with them with my hospital trust as well, imminently and the wellbeing team there. Um, so that's really where, where I'm at with permitted to pause, always putting my little reflections on <laughs> Instagram. <laughs> in the hope that people sort of resonate as well that's great i will leave um i will leave links to the mugs in the podcast description so anyone that would like to buy one please do and just click on the link brilliant thank um, you paul thank you sam thank you so much for taking the time um to chat today and I, i'm so sorry again for the technical problems but we we finally got there I think. <laughs> Thank you so much. You've been super patient and it's been really lovely talking to you as always. And I hope we can do it again soon. Yes, and, definitely. And to meet in person. Yes, finally. <laughs> that would be lovely. We so. will do it. We will. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Sam. Thank you. Good luck for the 5K. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Take care. <laughs> that was my conversation with Dr. Sam Anthony. If you're a healthcare professional and you believe you're being affected by burnout, please seek help. Doctors in Distress is a charity which is dedicated to supporting healthcare workers suffering within the NHS and prevent suicide within the profession. I've left website and social media links to both Permitted to Pause and Doctors in Distress in the podcast description. And that's it for this episode. If you're enjoying the show, please do leave a review on your podcasting platform and follow the show so you don't miss future episodes. As always, please look after yourself. I'm Dr. Bolivios. Goodbye.